From 12 News, this is Newsmakers. After another year of turmoil around the world, many may be seeking comfort in the spirit of Christmas week. But as new COVID cases are surging once again, is the church a safe haven? And how is the Roman Catholic Diocese of Providence weathering year two of the pandemic? Welcome to Newsmakers. I'm Tim White alongside 12 News Politics Editor Ted Nisi. Our guest this week to talk about that and much more is the Bishop of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Providence, Thomas Tobin. Bishop, good to have you back in the, uh, in the studio again. We, we weren't able to do this show this time last year for Great. obvious reasons, so it's good to have you back. Thank you, Tim. Ted, very good to be with you again, and we're glad that slowly but surely, God willing, we're all trying to get back to normal, whatever that will be. Yeah, we'll knock on whatever this is, plexiglass, yes. I guess. But look, um, I want to start with that. Uh, and I want to start with COVID and, uh, and the impact on the church. But Cardinal O'Malley is enacting a mask mandate for uh, masses beginning December 18th. Are you considering doing the same thing? At this point, it's not under active consideration, although as we speak right now, we know the governor will be coming with uh, some new announcements even today as, as we tape. So we will certainly cooperate with whatever the state asks us to do the very best of our ability. Right now, I'm not inclined to, uh, at least from a church point of view, issue any uh, mask mandates or any vaccine mandates. Um, I realize sometimes those things are necessary, and I suppose it's a necessary evil, but I think it should be the last resort. It should be uh, something we avoid if at all possible. How come? Well, people, first of all, have a right to worship. Um, and but that I, wouldn't prevent them from worshiping. No, it wouldn't, but it's another restriction. It makes it difficult for people, and also because we recognize that the whole question now of masking and, and um, vaccination mandates and I am fully vaccinated, by the way, and I've tried to encourage people to do that. Um, it's a very controversial, very divisive thing for people. So I think if at all possible, it should be left on a voluntary basis and people will do, they should be encouraged. People will do hopefully what is the, the right thing to do for themselves, their families, for their community, for the church, um, for the common good. So I think the better approach, if at all possible, is to encourage people to wear a mask, to encourage people to be vaccinated. I think mandate should be a last resort. You said you're fully vaccinated. Uh, just recently, Father Joseph Santos died of COVID-19. And I'm wondering if you know how many uh, priests in the diocese are vaccinated? I do not. I have no way of verifying how many of our priests are vaccinated or not. It's not something I've asked about. Um, some dioceses, the bishop have directed the priest to be vaccinated. I haven't done that. I'm not sure I have the authority to do that, but I have encouraged everybody in the diocese, everybody in the church, including our priest and religious and laity to be vaccinated. I think it's a good and the right thing to do, but I have no way of knowing how many of our priests are vaccinated or, or which ones who is and, and who isn't. Well, the clergy interacts a lot with the older population. They're often in and out of nursing homes. Do you think that should be something you know and, and maybe base policy on that, whether or not, geez, you, you know, uh, no, you shouldn't be going into that nursing home? No, a couple of things. Again, I, I've strongly encouraged everyone to be vaccinated. Uh, I've done that on multiple occasions and I've publicized the fact when I've been vaccinated myself to hopefully set a good example. But um, I don't think I have the authority to mandate our priests to be vaccinated. I would hope that their sense of um, commitment to their ministry, their desire to do the right thing would encourage them. And I think my guess is that the vast majority of our priests have been vaccinated just from common conversations and so forth. But I haven't measured that. I haven't asked about it. But I think the vast majority of our priests have been vaccinated. 
I'm, I'm curious, <coughs> sticking on vaccinations, Bishop, you mentioned about sort of the spectrum of opinion among the bishops nationwide on how to handle COVID policy. And uh, there's been, I've seen some disagreement about providing religious documentation for religious exemptions on vaccinations, which I know is a, a topic of controversy. Have you had any broad policy on that for the Diocese of Providence? And do you have any sense of if a lot of Catholic priests are giving religious exemptions in Rhode Island? Again, we tried to take a, a middle course on that. Um, as you know, and uh, you're suggesting the Catholic Church has been very clear that it is morally acceptable to receive the vaccines. I mean, the popes have been vaccinated. The bishops' conference has encouraged it, and I think most bishops, I'm sure the vast majority of bishops have been vaccinated. So it is morally acceptable to do so. So what, what we've said to the priest is that they cannot sign something that says that being vaccinated is contrary to the Catholic Church teaching. What we have said is if an individual comes to you and says, I have personal moral concerns, objections to this, I as an individual have difficulties with this, the priest can sign something that affirms the fact that this individual has a problem. So a priest, remember the clergy can affirm the fact that an individual person is struggling with this, has moral difficulties, but they can't say that being vaccinated against is against the teachings and law of the church because simply it isn't. The church has encouraged people to be vaccinated. I want to go back to um, some of the pandemic-related questions about masks and services that Tim was talking about. There was a report in the Wall Street Journal a couple weeks back now that uh, across the country, all different denominations, attendance at religious services in many cases still remains down quite a bit from the level before the pandemic. What are you seeing in the Diocese of Providence when you compare, and I know it can be hard to count each weekend, but overall, what's your feeling on mass attendance now versus before the pandemic? What we've heard in speaking with our priest, again, in informal settings, uh, more than any formal consultation, but in informal settings, what we've heard is that the vast majority of people have come back to mass following the, uh, the worst, the darkest days of the pandemic. Um, I don't think everybody's come back. I think some people are still a little bit reluctant or maybe they've just drifted away. I don't know, it's hard to measure that. Some people have been comfortable staying home on Sunday mornings in their pajamas and watching mass on TV, perhaps, or watching something else. Um, so some people have drifted away. Some people have gotten comfortable not going to mass. Some people are still a little bit afraid of being in a crowd in a large gathering place. But what we're hearing is that most of our people have come back to mass. Now, again, as we go through a, another surge, another outbreak with whatever restrictions are coming down the line, it will probably discourage people again from coming to mass. Um, but we hope people will feel safe, will come to mass. It's very important for them personally and, and spiritually. And, and keep in mind, as far as I know, the churches, Catholic or otherwise, at least in this area, Catholic churches have not been a source of any major outbreaks of COVID from the very beginning. I don't think there've been any accounts of any uh, large outbreaks of, of the coronavirus coming from church congregations. So we've tried to do our best. We've been safe during the, the restrictions. We kept people separated. They were wearing masks. We were following right protocols for distribution of Holy Communion and use of holy water and everything else. So our churches have been very safe. They continue to be safe. So we hope people will um, be comfortable in coming back to Mass, especially now as we're, gosh, entering the, the Christmas season. It's such an important time for people. We want them to come back. Uh, not to be crass about it, but also going to Mass usually involves giving a contribution, which is a huge part of most parishes' budgets. Um, how much were 
individual parishes financially harmed by all those months. And I know there was a push, you know, please give online, et cetera. But I, I have to believe that wouldn't have come up to the normal envelopes before that. How much how much was that a strain on parishes or is it hard to generalize? Yeah, I don't have a, an exact percentage. What we do know is that it's been remarkable, really. Our financial status of our parishes has remained pretty strong. There's been some um, downturn in the uh, weekly collection, of course, because as you say, people aren't there. And it's not crass at all, by the way. That's a legitimate part of being part of the church and supporting the church. So we want people to do that. Um, but there's been a little bit of a downturn, but not as much as you would expect. We've heard from our pastors that many people now are giving online. A lot of people recognizing the challenges the church has have been dropping off envelopes at the, at the parish house, at the rectory, or at the church. A lot of people are still coming and using the envelopes. So there's been a little bit of a downturn, but not as much as we had feared, not as much as um, we would have expected. And even in terms of our diocesan finances, we're doing okay. We've also received some of the federal uh, government money that's come in, the PP, PPP, PPE, whatever it is. Um, we received some of that's benefited our churches, our schools for employment purposes and so forth. So um, we're doing okay. Uh, it's not great. I mean, we have lots of challenges and struggles coming down the road. But uh, overall, it's it, it, we've fared much better than we feared we would. Um, recognizing the, the struggles and the difficulties that people have but people have been remarkably generous, both to our parishes, to our schools, the diocese, and we're very grateful to them and very grateful to God for that. It's been, it's been okay. On the flip side, Ted and I were talking <coughs> prior to the program, and Ted had brought up <coughs> that um, enrollment at Catholic schools went up uh, during the pandemic. Is that right? Yes, that's the number we have. At, I think, again, recalling my, my memory, I think the, in general, the Catholic school enrollment across the diocese has gone up five or six percent. Um, and again, it's because our Catholic school administrators, faculty, teachers have done a great job with that. And we stayed open when the public schools were closed, again, keeping everybody safe, but we stayed open. So I think our enrollment went up across the board five or six percent, high schools, elementary schools. Um, and we're grateful for that. Again, our teachers, administrators, staff have done a great job. And I think a lot of people have discovered the value of our Catholic schools, and we hope that that carries over when all this is, is over and, and done with. Just briefly on that, how have you, you know, there's been a lot of controversy in the public schools around the policies on if someone is a close contact and taking the kids out and all of that. How have you been able to maybe keep them open more without having outbreaks in the schools? Yeah, well, again, I think our, our, our teachers and administrators have done a great job in, in terms of keeping the kids safe, following the rules, wearing masks in the classrooms and so forth. So they've been very careful about it. But all of this is um, pretty locally managed. So it's not as if the diocese can track this every single day in every single school. We have high schools, elementary schools. Um, but what we hear is that they've done a good job in terms of uh, being very careful and uh, working with individual situations. So uh, I think our, our people have done a good job. Zooming out a little <clears throat> bit and, and sort of touching on Ted's attendance question, uh, I want to read a tweet that you posted the other day. You wrote that, I see that according to a new Pew Research survey, 33% of U.S. adults uh, say that religion is not very important to them. Perhaps that points to a primary cause of many of our problems. God is missing from our lives. We need a spiritual revival in our country. Bishop, what does a spiritual revival look like to you? Well, again, first of all, keep in mind that, that survey is not just about Catholics. That's about religion yep. across the board. Catholic, Protestant, Evangelical, Jewish, Muslim, whatever. Um, 
so it's across the board about religion in general. And I think it, it points to the fact we are living in a, an age that's become more, more secular. To me, a religious revival would mean that people are more aware of God in their daily lives, that people pray more individually and as families. It means that people go back to the churches and temples and the synagogues and mosques um, to be with the community of faith all those things, and then that those values um, become part of our public life and part of their personal lives. That's why, you know, if, if God is missing, there's something missing from our lives. And if God is missing from society, there's something missing there too. The soul of our community, the soul of our society is gone if we don't have that sense of the awareness of the presence of God. St. John Paul II, Pope John Paul II, often spoke about the practical and existential atheism of our age. He said, people no longer bother to deny publicly the existence of God. The Pope said, we simply try to live our lives without him. It's like we put God in a corner. He's like a fire extinguisher. You know, we pull him out whenever we need him. Otherwise, we want him in a corner not to get in the way. And, and that's the practical atheism of our age. And I think that's what that survey is reviewing, not just for the Diocese of Providence, not just for the Catholic Church, but for um, people of faith in general. And I think that's what that survey is, is indicating. We have about a minute before we get, have to go to break, but I gotta ask you about Twitter. You have had an on-again, off-again relationship <laughs> with the social media platform. Yes. Uh, and you have tweeted out things that have rubbed uh, even uh, folks in your own flock the wrong way. Uh, but you're back on Twitter again. We just put it up on the screen. Sure. Uh, are you taking a different approach? Um, I would say it's a different approach. I, I guess I'm probably using it a little bit less frequently now than I did previously. I think at one point in my Twitter life, I was probably tweeting two or three or four times a day. Now it's more like three or four times a week, perhaps. It goes in, in, in cycles. Um, but are you more mindful? I try to be a little bit more careful, recognizing that you know what I say, it's often, although often intended as an individual, I'm speaking, people will interpret it as a statement of a bishop, a statement of the church, what's not always intended, intended that way. So I try to be more careful, but you know, my commitment to Twitter is not necessarily a lifetime commitment. <laughs> it might come and go, who knows? It's, it's not something you have to adopt for life, but we'll see how it goes in the future. It probably won't last forever. All right, we're gonna take a break on the program. Our guest is Bishop Thomas Tobin. When we come back, his future with the diocese. Stay with us, you're watching Newsmakers. Welcome back to Newsmakers. I'm Tim White alongside 12 News Politics Editor Ted Nisi. Our guest this week is Bishop Thomas Tobin of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Providence. Ted. Bishop, one of the biggest controversies in recent months among the Catholic bishops was the, the debate over whether to issue a document, which initially it sounded like might have helped to make the case for denying communion to President Biden at mass due to his support of legal abortion. In the end, the final document was, I would say, much more general than that about the importance of the Eucharist um, more broadly, but not touching on that issue of politicians and denial of communion. Were you disappointed in the final document? Not really, and let me confess, first of all, I guess confess, um, I haven't read the document yet uh, because I haven't received the hard copy, and that's how I usually read those things. So, But I followed the, the development of it and the stories about it. I wasn't disappointed. Uh, I expected that's how it would come out. If you look, we were just talking about my Twitter uh, feed, my Twitter account. If you look back at my Twitter account back in May, when all this was a hot button issue, I said then, when everything was said and done, I expected the bishops would have a very nice and beautiful and prayerful statement about the Eucharist and that the, uh, 
the enforcement of the Eucharistic discipline would, would still uh, pertain to the local bishop. So I said back in May, and that's exactly what happened. So you weren't surprised in November, not at all. You know, I've been part of the bishops' conference now for almost 30 years, so I have a pretty good sense of how these things develop and how it works. And you know, the 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 document that the bishops read, it, it certainly evolved. I think when those who were writing it or promoting it started out, they expected something a little bit more. Uh, political, a little bit more tangible. But as these things evolve after discussion and prayer and consultation, it became a little bit more, what should I say, a little more general, a little more pastoral, a little more spiritual. And that's not a bad thing. Again, the bishops right now are launching a two-year program calling Eucharistic Revival, be a nationwide uh, program of trying to remind Catholics how important the Eucharist is, what it means to receive Holy Communion. So this document now is the launching point of this two-year program of Eucharistic Revival. So it, it's serving a very important purpose and uh, I hope people take it and read it and reflect upon it. It's interesting though because you, I would say I think you'd agree, you are fairly outspoken on the issue of abortion uh, and you know bringing up mentioning it, it's on your Twitter feed, etc. And yet you're not upset that that became a more maybe pastoral than political document. And as far as I know, you've never denied communion or instructed priests to deny communion to any of the many pro-choice uh, Catholics in your flock who are, who are political leaders. Uh, how, you know, how do you square the fact that you are more outspoken on that, and yet it seems like you're not willing to go quite as far on some of this as some of your brother bishops who, mm -hmm. who feel equally strongly about prioritizing abortion. Sure. Well, again, the document, going back to that, was never intended to be about abortion. It was intended to be about the Eucharist. Again, launching this two-year period of Eucharistic revival that all the Catholics in the diocese will be hearing about over the course of the next two years. We have many, many other opportunities to speak about abortion, and we have, I have, as you indicate. Um, I think it's still the primary moral challenge of our time because of the terrible loss of life of unborn children who are killed every time uh, an abortion takes place. So you work through all the politics and the demographics and the surveys and all that. In the end, for me, the bottom line is every time an abortion takes place, a child dies. And we have to take that very, very seriously. Everybody does. I think members of our community and certainly members of the Catholic Church and priests and bishops. Every time an abortion takes place, a child dies. Pope Francis, God bless him, said abortion is murder. Can't get any more uh, clear, plain, simple than that. And yet he didn't that. bring it up with the president, and you expressed disappointment about yes, that. Yes, I, I had hoped that the Holy Father would be more direct. Now, again, we don't know exactly what was said in that 90-minute conversation. Uh, president Biden said that didn't come up, and I presume we can take that at face value. But we don't know exactly what was said during that meeting. But the Holy Father has certainly been very clear and very direct. He said abortion is murder. And he said every time an abortion takes place, it's like hiring a hitman. So the Pope has been very clear and very outspoken and much to his credit. And I, I admire that and I appreciate that about speaking of the evil of abortion. When you start to apply it to individual situations, individual politicians and so forth, that's when a great deal of prudence and, and pastoral and uh, prudential judgment comes into play, I think. And by the way, you know, we just had the, the hearing at the Supreme Court about Roe v. Wade. We know that sometime in the spring and May and June, the, the Supreme the Court Texas is going to law. say something. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Um, and, and the other um, the other law that's, that was Excuse under- Excuse me, in the Mississippi law, yeah. 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 Um, so, I mean, they're, they're looking at all those, all those issues, but we know that sometime in the spring, the Supreme Court's going to say something very important about abortion. 
We don't know what it will be, but certainly between now and then and at that time, we'll have many, many other opportunities to uh, talk about that issue. As a teaching church, we need to teach people, remind people why this is so important. We always ask you about the, the state of the Catholic Church this time of year, um, and I read in the Valley Breeze, the newspaper the Valley Breeze, that All Saints Church in Woonsocket is expected to close in the coming months. Um, how many ch other church closures should we expect in 2022? Do you know yet? Mm, no, I, and again, these things evolve on a month-to-month -month basis. We know the number of our churches are struggling in terms of enrollment and finances and participation and so forth. It's an ongoing process. Um, when I came to the diocese almost 17 years ago, we had 150 parish uh, churches. Now we have uh, 125. So we've lost 25 parishes in, in those years, and many other places have been uh, joined together under the leadership of one pastor, one mm -hmm. pastoral team. But we've had 25 churches actually closed in, um, 25 parishes actually closed in those, those years. And that process will continue, but a lot of it happens when a priest is retiring or when a priest gets ill. So we And don't how many priests will be eligible for retirement in 22? Oh gosh, I don't know offhand. I think it's five or six. And how many are getting ordained? Uh, we have one. And that's happening every year. There's a mismatch there. Yeah, right. <laughs> every every yeah. year we have five or six or seven retire, and unfortunately some pass away. And every year we have one or two slated for ordination. So those numbers will change. Um, again, when I came here, we had 300 diocesan priests. Right now we have about 220. Hmm. So that's a huge change in just 16 years, 17 years. You mentioned the uh, newer priests, and there was a survey of Catholic priests done last month, which was interesting, by University of Texas at Austin and Baylor. It looked, it looked from the data like the younger cohort of priests is, is, is leaning more conservative than some of the older ones. One example that stuck out to me, 80% <laughs> of priests ordained before 1980 said they strongly approve of Pope Francis, but only 20% of the priests ordained in the last decade do. I'm just curious, for all the years you've been a priest, have you noticed a shift within the clergy and sort of the... I don't know, the center of, of gravity in terms of how, how priests think? Yeah, I think there has been a change, and I think it can be documented as that survey has. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. We were talking the other day to some of the priests. The older priests now who are in their 70s or 80s, you know, when they were first ordained in the 1960s and 70s, the old priests thought they were crazy. <laughs> now the older priests are looking, new priests coming along and say, wow, this group is crazy. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a generational thing. The pendulum swings back and forth. So, you know, this group is too liberal, this group is too conservative, this group's too... It goes back and forth, and I'm sure through the history of the church, and I think that's what we've experienced. You know, the priest after the Vatican Council, typically, and this is not universally true, I don't know if it's very accurate, but typically we're considered, quote, more liberal. Now the priests coming out, as you say, are considered, quote, more conservative. But that, that's very hard to categorize that exactly. There's a lot of um, fluidity there in both groups. But it's just a generational thing. People shouldn't overreact to it. Our priests are good guys. They're faithful. They're working very hard and, and doing well. And we're proud of our priests and grateful for what they do. The older priests who have served well, younger priests who are willing now to jump into the fray and work hard. Our guys are doing great. I, I love our priests. You turned 75 in 2023, which is the retirement age for bishops. I guess my first question is, do you plan on uh, remaining with the diocese through uh, 2023 until you turn 75? And does that necessarily mean when you reach 75, you have to retire? Sure. Well, the, the law of the church is pretty clear. When a bishop turns 75, 
he must submit his letter of retirement to the Pope. That's in the law of the church and canon law. So that's pretty clear. And yes, I expect to be here for at least those uh, intervening months. It's about a year and a half away now. The other thing to keep in mind, though, is when a bishop sends in his letter of retirement, it's not accepted right away, right. usually. In my case, it might be. <laughs> Why do you say that? <laughs> but um, that's not always true. There are priests, there are bishops serving now who are well over 75, even 76 or beyond. So, um, you know, I, I think it depends on a lot of things. Um, but even though I will be sending my letter in when I turn 75, it doesn't mean that it will be accepted right away. And I expect to remain here after I retire and help out the new bishop in whatever way I can. Oh, you don't plan to move back to, to Pittsburgh? No, you, I expect grow? to be here. Again, I will have been here for 18 years, mm -hmm. so it's become home for me. I love the Diocese of Providence. I love Rhode Island. I'm very happy here. And uh, if I can stay, again, things might change, but my plan is to stay and help out the new bishop, whoever that is, um, in whatever way I can. We have a minute left, so I always <laughs> like to give you an opportunity to talk about the Keep the Heat on uh, Low Income Heating Assistance Program that the diocese has, uh, you know, what if people need help, what should they do? Sure, they can contact the diocese. And again, we are in the 17th year of the Keep the Heat On program. Um, in those past 16 years, we've raised um, uh, $3.5 million to help 15,000 households uh, in the region. It's a really good program because the money we come in goes right direct, directly back out to, to help individuals and families with heating assistance throughout the year. We're very proud of the program and very grateful to everyone who has supported it. And, uh, and again, this is uh, one of the great works of the church we're highlighting as we go into our anniversary year, 150th anniversary of the diocese coming up and we're celebrating that now. And we're emphasizing the great work the church has done from the very beginning. And we're so very proud of that and grateful for everybody who helps us. Well, one thing is clear with 30 seconds left. It's you have not prayed hard enough for your Pittsburgh Steelers <laughs> this year. That is evident. Well, yeah, I'm sorry we're out of time today, but uh, <laughs> I guess we have to go to You're commercial right. break. Yeah. God is clearly a Patriots fan. <laughs> is, is what At this least is for the moment, yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Bishop Thomas Tobin, thanks so much for joining us. Merry Christmas to you, and we'll see you next week on Newsmakers.